0: Salonga is joining us by telephone. Broadway fans know Leia from her performances in Les Miserables, Miss Saigon, Flower Drum Song, Allegiance, Once on this Island. Uh, we, Le- Leia, we, we have seen you literally grow up on stage.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much my life,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, for the people fortunate enough to have, have seen you, uh, you know, in, in London, in Miss Saigon, from the very way beginning, um, we've been fortunate enough to, uh, to have you share your life with us. So thank you for coming on Broadway Radio and chatting with us. Oh, my pleasure. So tell us, um, you are well into your run on Once in this Island. How is oh, it sett- yeah. How is it settling in for you?
1: Um, I think we've all found our own individual grooves as far as um, every cast member's performance is concerned I think we've We've been able to find kind of our pockets, our individual pockets, as well as our pocket and the groove of the show. It took a little while to figure it out, I guess because of just how much there is that the show requires from us um as performers, as musicians, as actors, um, it's a lot. It's, if, you've, if you've seen the show, then you kind of have a, an idea of just what that a lot means. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's. yeah, it, there are days when, when we're kind of, oh, my God, what is this that I got into, especially at the first few rehearsals. But once we started performing for audiences on a nightly basis and once the show was frozen... And we could then kind of take the show back for ourselves and be able to, you know, find our ways, you know, around it and with it and through it. it, it it's just such a pleasure to do every night.
0: One thing I heard was that, and maybe you can confirm this for us uh, if this is just a great Broadway rumor, is that uh, the show is frozen or locked down. No more changes on your first yes. press night.
1: Um. That's correct. Actually, that w- once we hit our first press night, um, we were we were frozen. Michael Arden froze the show, and he could not be found for any of the press nights. He was not <laughs> in the theater at all. He's like, critics make me nervous. So, um, but I mean, he had nothing to be nervous about. I mean, yeah, the show critics loved the show. Yeah, critics loved it. I mean. Uh- we read the reviews. I read the reviews. I have to because I'm just, I'm one of those people. <laughs> and and I, you know, read everything. And I'm like, even even people that didn't l- love it, love it, found something to like
2: about it. When I saw this show, it was fairly early in previews, the second or first or second second or third week. Um, oh, why did uh, you do Michael, that? Well, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't live Come in. Come on New York. now, that's not fair. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't live in New York, so I had to schedule things around trips uh, up there. But I actually saw it when the um, when the the choir of kids was still in a uh, very right. early on. Um, oh, so well, that was but, very early on. Very early, yes. But I, uh, Michael was there, Nikki and James were there taking notes throughout the whole thing. I kept one eye on them every once in a while over there to see what they were doing. But it seems like between that and some of the effects on stage, it seems like there was quite a bit of massaging with the show throughout previews. Obviously it's a revival, but this is very much a different production than the one that was done originally on Broadway. How how would you categorize the substantial changes that you guys made during previews?
1: Oh, Wow. Um... Well, as you had mentioned, we did have that gaggle of children. Um, And we we met them in the rehearsal room when we were still, you know, in a rehearsal studio before we went to Circle in the Square. And they were with us for, I can't remember for how long, a good week, maybe a week and a half. I can't remember exactly. Um, So there was that. Um, Choreography would change. Um, But I think Camille Brown froze the choreography pretty early once she was happy with how everything was looking with the movement that the company was doing with the stuff that each company member had to come up on their own for their own characters once she was happy with the movement, then she was like okay guys I'm freezing <laughs> I'm freezing this." Um, and she was such a trooper i mean she had appendicitis for the during the rehearsal process oh, really? oh wow and she was choreographing she had incredible she had an incredible associate in Ricky Tripp and an incredible assistant in a lady named Cat i forgot her last name and i'm going to kill myself because i can't remember it um, but she had these two amazing oh cat foster she had these two amazing um people that worked alongside her so it wasn't like she had to, like, get up on her feet all the time and demonstrate everything. Um, because, I mean, everybody knew that she had an inflamed appendix. And during previews, I think, or maybe while we were even in tech, I think once, she, once the choreography was laid down and Ricky and Kat could then kind of take over and watch everything, then she was able to take care of herself and her mother came into town. But that's the kind of dedication she had. Um, <laughs> and there was very little that she needed to do during previews, um, I think she, so much of it had already been locked and lo- locked in um, in rehearsal and in tech, which was fantastic, which meant that the dancers could really get the movement into their bodies and not have to worry about anything changing. Um, so the changes really were, there was a lot of changing with lighting, um, changing with staging. I mean, I've found myself... Um, in different places and knew that I could not commit to that staging on that night because I knew that the next day I would be asked to do something different. (laughs) It was, it was just a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot.
0: (laughs) Let me ask you uh, something uh, about, uh, you're in a unique position to talk about audiences because once in this island is not done in a proscenium stage, but in a rounded circle in the square and yeah. on top of it, you have a pre-show uh, type of interaction with the audience. I hear that you pull Lin Manuel Miranda out of the audience. And, no,
1: I didn't uh, do that. I mean, I didn't... went to him, but I didn't do that. I didn't pull him out. You didn't. We're, pull we're, him... I'm not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, what I do, and 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 I have to kind of scope the audience to kind of feel. I have to feel things out. I mean, I can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that I have certain tasks that I have to complete, but. If, if something just doesn't feel right, then I kind of just stay in my own little world. Sure. But if, if I see an audience member or a, f- a couple of audience members, okay, for this ca- in this case, I'll use Lynn manuel Miranda, um, that will be open and receptive to whatever the cast is going to do because sometimes we'll approach members of the audience and we'll hang and play and do whatever. Yeah. Um, and in this case, what I do, one of my tasks is to bring out a mosquito net, um, which then aids in the transformation of my, of my earthly character into the God that I end up becoming in the course of the show. Um, and because what my character is a nurse, so there's, there are shots, there's, she distributes condoms. She also brings out mosquito nets to, you know, to distribute to kind of aid in preventing mosquito borne diseases. Mm-hmm. And as somebody from the Philippines, I'm only too familiar with what those are. Um, So, I will sometimes, you know, place a mosquito net over somebody's head or show them what it is, and for Lynn, I went up to his seat. Normally, I kind of limit myself to whoever's sitting on the sand, but he was sitting four rows back on an aisle, so I headed up four rows back, But, but he was on an aisle, so it was very easy to access him, and I did my bit, and then I went back to the sand, and we did the show, and... I normally head back up that same aisle where he was just for the end of the show. Um, and that's part of my staging. So I was able to take a good look at his face at the end of the show. He was destroyed.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, take I think a lot of people were. A lot of satisfaction in seeing him. Just, I mean, his his wife was just was able to keep it together. She was just... She was there, but he was gone. <laughs> I don't know where he went. But he was his face was so wet. He was just he was crying so much, and he you know he came backstage and he hung out, um, with 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 us and the you know with members of the company and was able to just talk and and just kind of just tell us what he felt. And he was he was loving what he saw. I believe.
0: So the- whether it's oh, go ahead, James. Well, I'm sorry. The original question I had was, you know, because you have this pre-show thing, you're able to yeah. uh, really feel out the different types of audiences, whether it be a, a we can a, a matinee audience is a little bit different than an evening audience or an early in the week versus Not late so in the week. Not so
1: much. Actually, actually, no. There doesn't seem to be a difference with regards to what day it is or if it's a weekend. Um, I mean, we'll probably have like a bigger – as far as – differences in the audience, we may have like bigger crowds on the weekends because it's the weekend. Um, just by function of the day of the week and people are looking to do something fun on a Saturday, um, or a Sunday. Um, for me, I like going to shows on weekdays because it's easier to get a seat. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: just, just, you know, by virtue of what the beast is, but as far as the quality of the audience, um, there doesn't seem to be a difference. I think people will people will come in bringing with them whatever day they might have had. And so initially they will sit and depending on how great a day they've had, they kind of bring that and body language kind of informs us what kind of a day they've had. And so if if they're open and if if it's someone that that I feel kind of needs some of the interaction, then I go and I will approach. I will approach you know, couples that happen to be canoodling for example. You, know, <laughs> you know? I will I will do that if whether it's a gay couple, straight couple. Oh, it's no of course not. We oh. I don't do that I don't do that. But I mean sometimes we'll have couples that are just starting to date. So they've only been together like a few weeks. Like I think there was a couple that I put the mosquito net on them and they were together it was a very new relationship. And then I approached another couple that had been married for nearly 50 years. I approached another couple that had been together for like over 20 something years, but married only when, um, marriage equality became legal in all 50 States. So it was, you, you get all these stories. So the audiences quality wise, it's pretty consistent. Um, we will get, You know, fairly similar quality. Um, It's just sometimes the audience size, whether or not the standing room section is filled usually depends on what day of the week it happens to be. If it's like a Saturday, then we'll know it's a Saturday because, well, people are up there.
2: Well, you mentioned that everybody kind of brings their own story um, to seeing this. And obviously, like you said, the the, the show really impacted uh, Lynn especially well, maybe even hit him a little bit more harder than it did his wife. But um, I'm I'm going to ask a question and, and it might put you on the defensive a little bit. That's not what I mean. So um, but you're talking about in the song or in the show, you guys saying this is why we tell. The story, and I've yeah. been wondering kind of in the larger picture of this season, there's been so much discussion about especially musicals and about how women are, um, played and perceived in them, especially with right. some revivals the other two revivals on this, yeah. Season. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of the conversation when after I saw, I was much more in Lynn's boat um, than maybe his wife is. I was really uh, moved by this. But there has been some discussion about what that oh, yeah, message is, why you tell the story. So from I'm interested from your perspective, why do you tell the story? What is it at the heart of Once on this Island that does impact so many people, especially in this society, in this environment, in this era that we are in now?
1: Okay, um, this is something <laughs> that I think all of us in the show are very aware of and cognizant of, um, given that majority of the, of the cast is African American, um, and we have a lot of women, and especially we have two little girls in the show. So we are, and I think even Michael and our creators were careful and aware and very astutely so about the story we are trying to tell, especially in this era of Me Too, especially in this era of, right. you know, women, you know, striving for equality and the glass ceilings not not really being broken in the way that we would have thought would have been by 2018. You know, you'd think. Um, for me, I, I choose to look upon this story as one of hope and optimism and empowerment. That is how I'm looking at it. Um, as a Filipino woman, as a woman of color, as a person of color, and as somebody that has an 11-year-old daughter. I, I need to use my gut and choose the shows that I'm in, you know, based on what the story is and what messages it's trying to convey. So with that in mind, for me, we see we see the story of Moon which we can look at sort of like us just telling a fairy tale around a campfire. And it's not a real, quote-unquote, it's not a story that's based in right. fact. It's a fictional tale. I mean, we're talking about there are gods in this <laughs> who are, if, if anybody here, you know, if in, in the monotheistic world, you know, when you say the word god, that is omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, and kind of allowing free will. Here we have four gods who pretty much play with the lives of, of these earthly beings for their own amusement, where you have two gods basically making a bet as to what this little girl is going to do, and we see it all play out. But the surprising thing, are it's, it's the choices that this young woman makes, which surprises even the four gods. And playing one of the four gods, I have to allow myself to be surprised every day. So the cool thing about the story of Timun um, is that the inspiring part, and I think the part that touches people, it's once we get to the very end and we hear mama and everybody say that she was transformed into a tree that sprang up and cracked the walls of the hotel bosom and the walls of that hotel for me it's a symbol of the partition between the haves and the Mm have-nots between the rich and the poor the fair-skinned and the dark-skinned you know that's kind of where my head is so are you guys still there
0: Oh yeah,
2: yeah! Oh yeah! No, no, no. This is, oh, yeah. This okay, because you,
1: yeah. yeah. you guys went, you guys quiet. No, okay, no. <laughs> so I, I wasn't sure because I've had yeah, these yeah. conversations. And all of a sudden, nothing's happened. Yeah, um, no. So, so for me, once that once that happens, I think that is when the audience just kind of goes from feeling that oh my god, this this poor girl did not find in her living life the fulfillment and the love and the joy that she was chasing after so actively, she was rejected by this light-skinned bozo boy who was, um, you know, who was in an arranged marriage with, with, with someone. And as somebody that grows up, that has grown up in the Philippines, it's like, I, I kind of know the, the dynamics of, of, of how society works over there and who marries each other. And, that kind of thing. So I, I, I see that happening in, in life for real. Um, but the, it, but it, it really kind of hits home when you, when you hear the words, it's a tree that sprang up and cracked the walls of the hotel bosom so that its gates could never close again, which means that this spirit, this woman, became so powerful and instrumental in destroying the divide between the haves and the have-nots. So that is one thing. A tree that lived forever sheltering peasants and grandol alike, which meant that she did not care who rested in the shade of her, in the shade of her tree. It didn't matter if you if you if you were rich, if you were poor, that didn't matter. So you, those words kind of resonate a, a tree that watched over Daniel so that there was still this love that even as a spirit she was choosing love a tree in which his children played. And then it's like and one day as Daniel as Daniel's son sat in the shade of the tree, he noticed a beautiful young peasant girl hiding in its branches, looking out at the world, which was which is a little girl not unlike Timun was. And but her spirit touches them both, which means that now she is enabling two people from two different worlds to love in the way that she was not able to. So although she in her earthly life experience heartbreak and tragedy she is making sure that no other one like her gets to have you know has to suffer that again so it's like when you think about it that way it's it's like it's, it's almost like you're, you're reading like one of the stories of the saints one of the catholic oh, saints yeah. that whose who's, who's life becomes elevated because of the, cho- the choices they have made in life that they've become elevated to something more closer to something divine, and it's like in then our story, Timun is becomes the fifth god.
2: Yeah, I love like that there was
1: the four, and and she becomes the fifth one. So it's like she is then elevated to a higher spiritual status, which was which is which is I don't know if anybody even thinks about that when they watch this. <laughs> and so we we tell, I mean, it's it's a fable, and it's like. The Little Mermaid, and we can't take everything so literally. And so what is the message we are trying to say? It's like, yeah, there are times when life actually does suck, Hmm. but we have the choices in our lives. We have the power in our lives, however long we have on this earth, to do the right thing to make sure that no other person has to suffer again. So those Hmm. are the things that I kind of think about, and I think those are things that we in the company actively think about. So when we tell the story, we are all very invested in it.
0: These stories that you're telling here uh, sort of uh, are evergreen. And uh, when you talk about the haves and the have-nots and the, and the struggle between uh, uh, the people, I, I think of Kim in Saigon. I think of Eponine. I think of, yeah. you, know, you know, to some extent, Aladdin and um, and things that have happened there. These are... Mm-hmm. Well, the, these are the stories that you've been able to uh, successfully tell Broadway audiences. Let's uh, move forward into some new stuff that you're you're working on. I'm gonna try this name, and you correct me if I get it wrong.
1: <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm just giggling here on my on my side of the line. Okay, because... so it's
0: called Bahagarhari. No, bah, bah, no, I got it wrong. Okay, Bahag. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bog adorable, though. Oh, the attempts hari. are good. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So tell it us about it. means
1: rainbow. It oh, literally okay. means rainbow.
0: Okay. So yeah. uh, it's a new album that you're working on or have uh, finished? Actually, it's
1: a new album that's been released. It's, yeah. It was released not that long ago, last December, just pretty much after we opened Once on this Island, and we're selling um, CDs at the merch Uh, at the merch counter of our theater. And it's also available on Amazon. It's also available on iTunes. Um, The physical copy, though, um, it has translations of all the songs as well as backstories and explanations for context, um, which is a great thing to have. I mean, I gave copies away to some of my friends at the theater, and they're like, oh, I don't have a way to play this at home because I don't have a CD player. I'm like, just (laughs) download it off of... So I'm like, download it off of... Apple Music or or Amazon. Whatever, they have yeah. the, the digital copies. But use this the hard copy for the translations because I don't think digital booklets are always available. Yeah.
2: Because so it's, it's always in... a good
1: idea to have the you know you can listen and you can like leaf through the, the booklet just for just for a little information.
2: Yeah, because we buried the lead here. The the album is it's in tag Is that the, the, the language Actually, that it's in? It's...
1: It's not in Tagalog, not purely. Okay, I mean, Tagalog is the language that I speak, and it's and most of the songs are in that language, but there are songs in Bisaya, which is another dialect, which is actually the language our um, costume designer for Once on this Island, uh, Clint Ramos, that's what he speaks. Oh, wow. Wow. He's from that part of the world. He's from that part of the Philippines, so he speaks Bisaya. And then there's Ilongo, which is my mom's language. There's Kapampangan, which is my father's language. Uh-huh. And then there are other languages that I do not even have a clue about. <laughs> there's Bicolano, there's um, Ilocano. Those are two that I'm like, threw my hands up during the recording session and we had to phone numerous friends just to get everything right. And thank goodness um, our producer, Ryan kayab he had so many cell phone numbers, and we were on speakerphone in the studio just, you know, talking to, however, and me trying to get every every word just right. Because some of those languages are, like, completely foreign, like, really foreign. It might as well have been Korean or Mandarin to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, that's how diverse the, you know, linguistics can be in, in the Philippines. It's kind of crazy.
0: And so what made you uh, make this album?
1: Um, I was approached by the Global Language Project to, um, to record music in Filipino, um, I think as an educational tool for school children. I think here in, I think here in New York first, well definitely in the United States, to familiar not necessarily familiarize, but to kind of get your ear listening to other languages. Um, other world languages. It's actually the third in a series. The first was in Spanish and the second was in Portuguese. And now, you know, these songs are from the Philippines. It's, it's the third. And each one is named after some sort of color thing. Like the first one is Coloreando. The second one was Aquarela. And the third is Bahagari, which is a rainbow, which is all all colorful. And we named it that because the thing about the, Filip- the Filipino languages is that they're all so distinct, like the colors of a rainbow, very, very, you know, there, you can see the demarcation lines in between each color, but still all of them form one thing, which is kind of like my country as diverse and as varied as the cultures are within the country. It's still one country. And I like that. Yeah.
0: That's a beautiful thought. So uh, uh, you also had the opportunity to do not only Allegiance on a Broadway stage, but also the film version of Allegiance. Uh,
1: yeah, we worked know. real hard on that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we had a, a commercial release of Allegiance in the, in the movie theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, t- talk about the Allegiance experience and, um, and what that all meant to you.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, First, it was getting to work with George Takei on what is his legacy project. Um, He feels this need, and we feel the same need, to inform the world, especially people here in the United States, about what has happened here that not a lot of people really know about and are aware of but need to be aware of. He was only five years old when he, along with his mom, his dad, and his two siblings, were taken away from their home in Los Angeles and put in an internment camp. And it's it's basically pla- placing over 100,000 Japanese Americans in concentration camps in the United States. When you think of World War II and concentration camp, you're thinking Dachau, you're thinking Auschwitz, you're thinking... Yeah. Nazi Germany, but you don't think about it happening while FDR was the president, that it happened on his watch, that there was actually an executive order that he had signed to displace 120,000 Japanese Americans, to take them away from their homes and place them in internment camps, just because of the suspicion that they could be spies because of what happened in Pearl Harbor with the Japanese bombing it. So it's like, oh boy. So it's 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 kind of it's incredibly scary thinking about that part of history, and it's also incredibly scary thinking that it could very well happen again. That whenever there is suspicion um, over, you know, from from one ethnic group to another ethnic group, then it's like, uh, let's look at history, you guys. This could this has already happened before.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, mm-hmm. that's a, a tremendous point yeah. of, of
1: that. Right. And- so, that was our motivation to, to doing the show. Um, that, w- that motivated us every single day to, to get up on that stage and to tell that story. And ultimately, that's what musical theater is so wonderful at. And it's a powerful medium when you have living, breathing human beings not that far away from you telling you a story. That hopefully you'll remember and take with you, and keep with you long after you've you know you've gone home.
2: You you mentioned the power of musical theater, and you know I think for New York fans uh, they might not realize how busy you are doing things when you're not in New York, but there was a a pretty um, big uh, amount of time between Broadway uh, performances for you before you came back a few years ago. What was it about coming back to new york um in a in a in a a allegiance after doing a bunch of theater in the philippines and doing tv and all the other great stuff you do what was it about coming back to new york and then you know coming back again with once on this island that that made you want to get back into this part of a community that's loved you like james said at the beginning for decades and for many many years
1: um i think the 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 time that I had spent away, I don't think it was a conscious decision necessarily, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I got married in 2004. I gave birth in 2006. So a lot of the work I was doing, I was doing a lot of work and I was traveling a lot. And I mean, I was performing pretty consistently. yeah. 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 And, and in the United States, in parts of Asia and in Europe, um, so I, I, I don't know. So I I think it was just a matter of finding the right show and figuring out which stories I wanted to be a part of. And I think it wasn't until like Allegiance came along that I felt compelled to be a part of it. Mm. Whether I was going to be on Broadway for a week, a month, three months or whatever. I felt like this was the story that I needed to be a part of in order to tell as an Asian woman and as a friend of George and as as somebody that he had specifically wanted to, you know, to be at his side to 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 talk about this story, um, I felt very privileged to be able to tell it for however long we were able to. And that it's on DVD, it, it only means that we are able to then tell the story to a wider audience, especially to audiences that would not have been able to come to New York or may not be sure. able to come here. You know, I mean, a DVD is cheaper than sitting in a Broadway theater. Um, <laughs> So it it is. I mean, it's it's great when you have the living, breathing humans in front of you, um, but having preserved the show uh, on DVD at least it kind of ensures us that we'll be able to keep telling the story in some way, and hopefully educate more people. Um, yeah, I think it's a matter of it, it's it's. I got I have to trust my gut, and of course my husband asks the question, "Would this be eligible for award season?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean there's there's that. I mean we're in the thick of awards season now and the show is still doing well, you know, in my mind and we're 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 doing some innovative things on on a Broadway stage in the middle of New York City, you know, doing something that I don't know has been done before. Yeah. It's it's something and if I if I had said no to Michael, I I would have probably kicked myself <laughs> for for not for you know, for, for refusing an opportunity like this to be a part of something so different.
2: It really is stunning, yeah. Uh,
0: When I was uh, doing some research, getting ready for our discussion, I tripped over Mm -hmm. a project that I didn't know about. It's called Broadway 4D. Right, Tell us about Broadway 4D. Um, James, you're gonna make her go through this. You're gonna make her go through this.
1: There really wasn't much to go through. I mean, there were for me. There, I mean, on my part, there were some initial discussions and there were names that were being thrown around. But I mean, I don't know that there is anything to tell because it it kind of disappeared. I think I don't know if it's gonna. I, I love the idea. Yeah. But yeah, I love the idea, and I think it was. It was a good idea, so, but I, I I don't know that it'll ever it, it won't ever be able to replace, you know, somebody like yeah. I don't know who who can I who can I name, like any big Broadway star, like Kelly O'Hara, mm-hmm. yeah. Cynthia Revo, uh, Hugh Jackman, and any of those people. It it doesn't replace them in the flesh, and one of them all of a sudden pirouetting and sweat flying in your direction. I mean, that <laughs> that is. I mean, come on! What woman hasn't fantasized about Hugh Jackman doing a pirouette <laughs> on stage and getting, you know, sweat flicked onto them uh, like that? Or, ha- it, it, or- it, it, it's happened. Yeah. Or having
2: Or <laughs> having you put a put a mosquito net over top of them.
1: Hey, it happens <laughs> <laughs> on a nightly basis. A show a yeah. week, uh, circle yeah. in the square. Um, so I mean, I mean, it's it's a it's a great idea, and but I I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it was yeah. just I, I. I just hadn't, you know. I tripped over it and I said, "Oh, what? What is this, and what's going on with it?" But I guess uh, I'm I guess I'm not the
1: right te- person to ask because I'm I'm I would have been just one of the hired help to appear. <laughs> um, I guess um, it's the people to ask really are the people who were creating it or involved in the nuts and bolts of it.
0: So let's move on to. Um, uh, you know, a production of Saigon just uh, left New York. What was it yeah. like to be in New York but not be in Saigon?
1: Oh, completely fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was my fine. Time,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah, my time with the show has was over, and I was part of the original production, and I'm only happy that... for for Okay, for me to have been part of an original production and to still be alive and actively working when mm-hmm. the revival was produced... I'm like, damn! I'm either that old, or the show just had such a demand yeah. that it merited a revival while I was still active and working and, and still young enough to enjoy it. Um, I thought, I thought, so much talent on that stage. Yeah, just so incredible. To be able to sit there and think to myself wow, what, what had we in that original production done that mm. this is possible? It's mm. like, that's, that's kind of the, the thought that enters my mind when I, when I sat, and I sat for a few times in that audience. Like every time an understudy went on that happened to be one of my really good friends, I would mm. sit in that. I put my butt there just <laughs> to be able to cheer and, you know, to be able to scream and, and be able to appreciate their performance. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I would sit there and I would think, this original company must have done something right for this mm-hmm. to be here yeah, and for, this, for now this generation of Asian-American talent to be doing what they're doing. It's, it blows my mind that I'm actually in my 40s, able to sit there and watch this happen in front of me. That, that's the thing that just blows my mind.
0: Well, Leia, thank you so much for spending so much time with us on Broadway Radio. We really appreciate My it. My pleasure. Fans can catch up with Leia eight times a week on Once on This Island uh, in the, in the DVD version of Allegiance. As we've mentioned, uh, we have uh, we'll have links to her website and to the Amazon uh, site and uh, and Apple Music and anywhere else that you can buy that buy her album. So, Leia, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk with you soon.
1: My pleasure. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: For him I feel his shadow brush my head But there's just full light on my
0: bed Was he a ghost? Was he a lie? That made my body laugh and cry Then by my side the proof I see His little one Gods of the sun
1: I swear I'll give my life for you, no one can stop what I must do, I swear I'll give